I like to cook, and the one thing I've come to learn is that the best way to improve the flavor of any dish is to make sure you're using high-quality ingredients, which is why I love using ButcherBox to get all my meat, poultry, and fish products. They are far and away the best option out there, so if you haven't yet ordered from them, I highly encourage you to give them a try today. Not only do they give you tons of options, you can get any cut you want, and it's always top of the line, but... It's also way more convenient than going to the butcher or grocery store. They always provide free delivery right to your door. They have awesome ribeyes, strip steaks, and steak tips that have all the right marbling. Chicken wings, breasts, and thighs full of flavor, and their fish is all wild caught with no additives. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs. Two pounds of ground beef or one pound of those premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash scarymysteries and use code scarymysteries to choose your free offer and get $20 off. So one more time, because this is key, new users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code SCARYMYSTERIES and get $20 off your first box. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnum Town. Varnum Town is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos, Mary Bell, and Danny Williams. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we focus on the bizarre and tragic case of Mary Bell and the mysterious death of an Illinois native. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number 1. Mary Bell. I murder so I may come back. These scribbled words found inside a vandalized nursery school classroom were simply dismissed as a prank by the Newcastle police. After all, who would scrawl such a cruel thing? But later on, 11-year-old Mary Bell would admit to writing it down for giggles. Just one day short of her birthday, on May 25, 1968, Mary lured four-year-old Martin Brown to an abandoned home in Scotswood, a suburb of England, and strangled him to death. 
He was found inside the home lying on the floor with blood and saliva trickling down his cheek. There was a pair of scissors lying next to him. Police initially believed it was an accident, but then things would take a strange turn. Two days after Martin's death, Mary told a friend, Norma, about what she had done. She also pestered Martin's parents by insisting to see the coffin and asking what it felt like to lose a child. It was also around this time when a teacher reported the nursery school had been broken into. Items were strewn about and vandalized, including one that said, We did murder Martin Brown. Two months later, Mary, together with 13-year-old Norma, lured three-year-old Brian Howe to a wasteland in the Scottswood area on July 31st. Brian was found with several puncture marks on his thigh. His genitals were partially mutilated and several clumps of hair on his head had been cut off. Police began interviewing children in the area and two kids stood out. Norma seemed excited about the murder and kept smiling throughout the questioning as if it all was one big joke. Meanwhile, Mary was evasive and began acting strangely. In one instance, she claimed she saw an eight-year-old boy with Brian the same day he was murdered. She said she saw this boy hit Brian and at some point even saw him playing with a pair of scissors. But in fact, that same boy was at the airport on the day of the murders. Even more, Mary mentioning the pair of scissors implicated her of knowledge about the crime because the scissors were kept confidential by police. On the day of Brian's funeral, Mary was observed by one detective standing outside the Howe's house watching and laughing while the coffin came out. The detective knew something was up and decided to interview Mary's friend Norma again, and this time she cracked and told police what really happened. She said Mary told her how she strangled Martin at the boarded-up house and described how she squeezed his neck and enjoyed the entire process. Afterwards, Mary and Norma returned to the scene of the crime, but before his body was discovered, to carve out what looked to be the letter M on his stomach using a razor. Mary denied the allegations and was released initially, but later on, more evidence and testimony from Norma caused the police to arrest both of the girls. During the trial, each one implicated the other, but despite this, there remained an odd connection between the two, according to police. Experts testified that Mary lacked emotions and had a psychopathic personality. During her detention, she was described as intelligent, manipulative, a compulsive liar, and violent. As the community and the public struggled to figure out how an 11-year-old girl could kill so callously, stories of Mary's troubled childhood came to light. Apparently, at a young age, Mary was neglected, even by her own mother, Betty. According to family members, Betty's first response when she was born was to get that thing away from me. She also tried unsuccessfully to let another woman adopt her daughter. By the time she was two years old, relatives said Mary was unresponsive and withdrawn. It's believed that Betty suffered from Munchausen by proxy, a personality disorder characterized by harming a child so that they can get attention and sympathy for themselves. Mary had seen her friend die when he got killed by a bus when she was younger. Her mother also frequently tried to kill her giving her intentional overdoses of drugs and poison. Moreover, Mary said that her mother, who was also a prostitute, allowed her clients to abuse and use Mary as a sex prop. Mary and Norma were charged on two counts of manslaughter. Norma was acquitted for her crime, while Mary was convicted of manslaughter under diminished responsibility because of her psychological assessment. She briefly escaped when she was 20 years old, but was apprehended quickly. 
She served another few years before being released in 1983 at 23 years old. Mary's had her own child since then. In 2003, she won a court order that would allow her to assume a new identity for herself and her child to try and hide her dark and sadistic history. Number two, Danny Williams. It was the worst thing that any parent could imagine. For days, Lois and Larry Williams couldn't reach their 23-year-old son, Danny. On Sunday, June 30, 1991, the two decided to visit their son in Gallusburg, Illinois to find out if he was okay. Larry used his own key and headed through the back door. When he entered, he found his son, Danny, slumped down on his couch in the living room, dead from a single gunshot wound with the gun still in his hand. He was the youngest son in the family, and for the past two years, he had held a management position as a distributor for their family's million-dollar textile and apparel manufacturing company. Danny recently started living alone and had bought his own house. His parents called police, and during the investigations, cops said that there was no indication of any foul play. Along with the position that the body was found in and the gunshot wound, it appeared Danny's death was a suicide. However, the family was skeptical. They decided to hire private investigator Mike Turnquist, and he found witness testimony contradicting the official ruling of suicide. For one, police said that the time of death was 2.30 a.m. on Saturday, June 29th, but a neighbor said she still saw Danny alive around 10.30 a.m. that day and that he was picked up by an unidentified woman. Police dismissed this testimony, saying that the woman was mistaken and that she probably saw Danny being picked up by his mother on a Friday morning but the neighbor was adamant at what she saw and that the woman was too young to be his mom. Moreover, a few other witnesses also came forward stating that there was still activity at Danny's house on Sunday when he was supposed to be dead. His father also sought the help of a private forensic expert, Mark Boisi, to help with the investigation. The private lab found traces of various organic matter including blood in the living room and on the television set. The blood was tested and it came up as blood type B and blood type O. Danny had B type blood, so the presence of the other O type points to the fact that there was someone else bleeding inside that room. There was another shell casing discovered on the couch as well, meaning someone had fired the same gun Danny had used twice. Boisi also pointed to Danny's body position when he was found. When he tested for the trajectory of the bullet, placing himself in the same position as Danny, he believes the young man should have fallen forward to the ground instead of backwards if he shot himself the same way the trajectory of the bullet indicated. Despite the possible new evidence uncovered, police still stand by their ruling that the death was a suicide. Danny's friends and family believe he was murdered, and they're offering $25,000 for information leading to the arrest. In Danny's case, there are possible suspects as well. There was the young woman seen with him on the morning of his death, she was described by the witness as having dark hair and being around 25 to 35 years old. On Sunday, another man was seen at Danny's house as well. He was described as 5 foot 4 with curly hair. But these people have never been identified. As for official coroner ruling, he couldn't officially say Danny's death was a suicide or homicide one way or the other and simply determined the death as uncertain. The case is currently considered unsolved. So there were two of the most tragic and mysterious stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted Twos is always sure to show you why.
If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to subscribe and check out some of our other videos we know you'll love. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.